Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. As usual, welcome aboard. Michael Rudnan says price gouging. Regulators examine Texas energy market after natural gas prices soar 10,000%. 10,000%. No accident. That is how the market works. It's called a free market. Free for those who have capital. Free for those who screw you who have capital. That's the name of the game. And, you know, and this is, no, this is not anti-business or anything. This is anti-system that isn't, which isn't based on your worth, isn't based on your work. It's based on hmm, what you inherited, what you stole, what you... That's what it's all about. Anyhow, folks, we're going to have a great show for you today. Welcome aboard to the show. If you're just joining us, I want to ask you to please kindly... Kindly share, share, share. Deborah John from LA, welcome aboard. I needed to share on your wall. I needed to share on your page. I needed to share on Twitter. That is how we're going to make a difference. That is how we start making the difference. Um, we're going to talk. We're going to play a piece by Paul Krugman that really got me excited because I I always feel always I always feel that we can make a difference. Too many people sit back and think, we can't. Too many people sit back and throw their hands up in the air and say, we can't make a difference. We are just me. We are just, you know, we can't make a difference. Folks, if I told you my own personal, well, if it's my own, it's my personal, I guess. If I told you my personal story, all the way back from Panama, to come into the United States and doing the things that I was able to do, you would see why I never, ever believe, first of all, in the answer, no. No for me is the opportunity to move forward. Yes is like an open door. But no is the opportunity to open that door. And I've grown up that way my entire life. You know, my daughter, I used to tell her, my daughter all the times, I don't like to hear no. I don't like you to say, what is this person going to do for me? I don't like to hear the thing, what I, wh- wh- how can, my, I, my, my answer to her is always, how do I get it done? How do I get it done? How do I make a change? Make a change meaning compromise. Make a change meaning You taking it on your own and saying, I am not just going to make these conditions be my state. And that's how it's done. And you fail, and you fail, and you fail. You know what success is? The success is your transition from failure. That's what success is. Transition from failure. Now, I've always looked at success that way. My transition from failure. Once my daughter was going through a few things and I told her, you know, babe, I've actually failed more than I've succeeded. Because when you succeed, you start to stay on that level until once again you fail. And then in coming back, you fail. And you come back again, you fail. And you fail and fail and fail until you come back. So, 
What is the program going to be about today? We're going to have a great program today. We're always going to have a great program. You know why? Because that's who we are. Anyhow, title of the show today is Will Texas Catastrophe End the Post-Reagan Deregulation Era? My answer to that is only if we make it so. Uh, Paul Krugman's is, I don't know, because we've tried all these changes and it haven't occurred, but I don't know. And when I heard that from Paul Krugman, I kind of got a little bit fired up. It's like, no, Paul, you're a very intelligent guy. You know economics. You know all these things. We don't ever say, I don't know. We just go ahead and say, we will make it so. We will make it so. So, will Texas catastrophe end the post-Reagan deregulation era? We'll make it so. Professor discusses poverty in depth. That's an in-depth interview that I did with this professor. I think you guys are going to like it. But anyhow, let's go ahead and get started with Paul Krugman and some of the commentary that I did thereafter. Will the Texas catastrophe finally end the Reagan era? Will we finally end the era of laissez-faire free, uh, free market economics? Is it really now the time that we see that all these things about somehow the market will take care of things is nothing but a fallacy? There's no market. The market is no god what we ought to realize right now is that all economies are human-made. And as human-made economies, we can decide how things work. What we've been trying to assert that the market will do something really is nothing more than saying we'll allow those with power to control us all. But let's listen to uh, Krugman and then we'll take it on the other side. Because he said something at the end uh, when we talk about a, a post-Reagan era that really concerns me. And it's one of the reasons why more than Ever, I think, we must ensure that we have independent sources providing us with information other than the cooked data that we hear about all the time. Check this out. Energy deregulation failed in Texas. In it, Paul writes this, quote, The collapse of the Texas power grid did not just reveal a few shortcomings. It showed the entire philosophy behind the state's energy policy is wrong. It also showed that the state is run by people who will resort to blatant lies rather than to admit their mistakes. Texas is not the only state with a largely deregulated electricity market. It has, however, pushed deregulation further than anyone else. So, Paul, good morning. If we take a step back, in your estimation, how did Texas get here? Oh, what they did was they, you know, they deregulated, which a lot of states have done to some degree. But the thing that's striking about Texas is that there was no precautionary principle. There were no uh, rules requiring that, that power producers have some reserve capacity. There were no rules requiring that they make that capacity robust. You know, it's perfectly possible to operate it. There are a lot of states that have freezes all the time. They operate their natural gas pipelines. They operate their power plants. They operate their wind turbines right through those freezes. It's not a hard thing to be prepared for that, but Texas didn't do any of that. They just relied upon the market to the magic of the marketplace was going to make sure that everything was fine. And what we've just seen is that that doesn't happen, that if you don't, you cannot count just upon the, the the magic of the free market it, it's actually even not it isn't really a free market because it takes an enormous amount of of effort to create a a, a sort of market there uh, it just isn't good enough and the result is a, a deadly incredibly destructive disaster um paul i wanted to ask you mark lilla a couple of few uh, a couple of years ago wrote about 
how we've lived through two, uh, we've lived through the FDR dispensation from 32 to 80, yeah. the Reagan dispensation from 82. When he wrote his book, it was 2017. He suspected it was coming to an end. I'm wondering whether Texas isn't a, a, a bookend uh, of sorts uh, to uh, Reaganism, uh, the, 40 years later, the excesses of Reaganism, uh, and if that doesn't uh, bring us into, take us, it, it will, we're already moving possibly into a new new era, yeah. uh, that sort of a post-Reagan era. Well, I'm, I have stopped believing that I really understand where U.S. politics is going. And there have been so many catastrophes. I mean, we, it, you would have thought that the California electricity crisis, which was even more outrageous because it was right, outright market manipulation, and that was in 2000, 2001, that that would have put a bookend to this uh, fixation on deregulation. You would have thought that the financial crisis with runaway banks and, and runaway uh, financial contracts that nobody understood that basically brought the world economy to its knees brought us down. So I'm, I'm given up assuming that just because events Happen. And look, if you look at the people running Texas, they'd said, they took a look at what was obviously a failure of their free market policies and said, the Green New Deal did it. You know, Larry Kudlow went on TV the other day and said, this is Joe Biden's fault. So how am I supposed to believe that, that just because the facts say that this was a terrible mistake, that the political system is actually going to learn anything from it? Now, now we spend a lot of time deconstructing, trying to... Now, Krugman is a well-known economist. He's a darn good economist. What I hate about the end of that segment that I just did is that Krugman sounds almost like he's throwing his hands up in the air, like saying, oh, people are, got, people are just going to do what they're going to do because this should have ended a long time ago. Folks, let me tell you, after 2000, I remember those electrical issues with California when they were ripping people off and the same kind of spikes that you saw in Texas with the, with the grid, same thing happened in California, and people thought, oh, they would learn their lessons that deregulated markets don't work. Then we had the meltdown in 2008 where the entire free market system was about to freeze because of credit default swaps and all these issues and people said this is going to be the end of capitalism as we know it which it should have been but it wasn't because well i'm going to tell you then we had this stuff with texas and texas since it's so fresh we can understand exactly why krugman said what he said because oh things seem to not change they don't change because those are who have the real message, those of us who are willing to tell the truth, many times too often throw our hands up in the air and say, it is too difficult to try to convince all those people out there that they're being lied to and the lies, that the other guys are such blatant liars that they will be able to convince people of After 2008, we were, the, 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 the plutocracy was fearful that this was going to be the end of capitalism as we know it. It was going to be now going forward a very regulated type of economy, which it should be based on those instruments that's nothing more than regulated, or rather nothing more than legalized gambling. They thought it was the end. But what they did is they had a concerted effort to reverse the blame. The blame was now on the people they hurt. The blame after 2008 became credit default swap because people who couldn't afford homes were purchasing homes and the government allowed them to do it.
It wasn't that these guys were crooks. It was somehow we the people decided to buy homes we couldn't, accept, couldn't afford and the government forced them to give us low. It was a complete lie, but people believed it. The same thing is happening here in Texas. Texas free market with their, with their energy completely failed, collapsed. And what's the first thing that the governor does? Green New Deal, Green New Deal. And he put that message out so quickly. He put that message out faster than we were able to put out the message that said, hey, deregulation failed, not doing your job failed. They were ahead of the game in saying it was the Green New Deal that caused the problem. They were ahead of the game in, as, as the guy said, it was Joe Biden who, who created this problem. What this shows you, it's messaging. It's getting ahead. It's not ever giving up. It's having faith that you can get into the messaging fight and then use reality to tell the truth. Our problem is that the first time something goes wrong and the other side lies with impunity, we decide to say, okay, people going to believe them. Uh, let's just go in a folk. Independent media. This is why we're needed. Progressive media. This is why we need it. This is the reason why we have to be in the game. Krugman, I love Krugman. But the end of that segment where he says, I, I've given up deciding what the political system is going to do. You don't give up what the political system is going to do. You be a part of the political system and you ensure that it does what it needs to do. But you have to do it. We have to do it. It can't be Krugman. It can't be just me. It can't be just Krugman. It can't be just you. It has to be we. But folks, we can't ever sit back and believe, oh, there's no other choice. Let's get into the game. We'll win some we'll lose a few. We'll win most, we'll lose a few. But we stay in the game and we fight with resolve. And we are the truthful ones. And we always permanently called out the lies. The reason I'm not dropping the Texas grid is because these guys screwed up and we ought to keep it in the minds of people and not let them redefine the message. Every day, they screwed up Texas. The Texas catastrophe was caused by the way Republicans run the government. The Texas healthcare catastrophe was caused by the way Republicans ran the state. The COVID catastrophe was formed by the way they ran the system. It was they who did it. And that's the message we all must take. Folks, engage. Folks, engage. What we need is we need to make sure that we don't fall for the bullies, that we don't fall for those who are like, you know, Ted Cruz, when he came back, he said, I made a mistake. He said that here on, on Houston TV. Then he goes on to Fox News and he says, I don't know, these people are acting so foolish because I wanted to take my kids to the beach. Huh? Uh, the gall of these people. And that's what I'm saying. We don't ever let people forget uh, now, Eric says, quick pointing fingers and give solutions. We have solutions. The solution is engage and say what we want. And you know what we want? What's in that Green New Deal? You know what we want? What's inside of, uh, of uh, a lot of what's inside of Biden's uh, proposals right now? Those are things that came from us. Those are solutions. For all of these problems that we're talking about, we have solutions. We just have not been able to implement them because the current government has been stopping them. Given all our people health care, we have solutions. We just, we just have to get them passed by insisting that they, don't, that they don't 
fall for the fall for the oh that costs too much or oh we can't afford it. That isn't the solution. When if somebody tells you that in a man-made economy where people are not all working, where there is a whole lot of things that we can produce. If somebody tells you we don't have the money for it and you believe them, then it means we need to teach economics to every single American person. Why? Because people, it's important for you to understand the federal budget is not like your home personal budget where you can borrow and after you reach your credit limit, you have no money. That is not how economics work. Uh, Eric says, nope, not at all. And remember that if you take away fossil fuels, uh, schools and jobs and lives are destroyed. Um, What? Okay. Uh, I think you need to analyze that. Nobody wants to take away fossil fuels before we have a replacement for fossil fuels. The problem is today, uh, and I need to express this to a lot of people. The problem today isn't that we are trying to get rid of fossil fuels to, to hurt people. The problem today is that the energy industry is ensuring that, that renewable energies and replacements of fossil fuels don't come into effect. That is what they're doing. They are stunting the growth of replacement fuels. Let's give an example. Back in the Carter days, we spoke about sin fuels. Sin fuels were made, yes, from carbon into liquid. But there are other kinds of sin fuels that were coming into pass, like cellulose and all these things. Cellulose, even if you turn it into gasoline and burn it, it's still renewable because if it, you're using plants that you grow and then you burn it, you grow it again, you burn it, you grow it again, and it com- it completes in one finite cycle, on, unlike petroleum, which has to fossilize over millions of years. So that's the difference between something like petroleum, which, which are also plants and animals, but they are fossilized plants and animals that's been cooked by the system for millions of years. Sin fuels, like, uh, like uh, cellulose-driven fuels made from, from the trees and that sort of stuff, that is something that can be replenished in the amount of time needed. So there is a difference. What the oil companies are trying to do is to stop renewable energy because they want to maximize on what they take out of the ground cheaply. Now, secondly, debt is not debt. Debt has different values. As an example, a mortgage is never considered the same kind of debt as a credit card debt. Why? A mortgage is backed by a fixed value, an asset, a house. So therefore, it's a one-on-one correlation. When you talk about a credit card, you may buy food with the credit card, and after you buy the food, there's nothing to back that debt that you instituted from using that credit card. There's another kind of debt as well, the debt that a, 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 a country puts into place. The debt from a country is just a balance sheet. In other words, if I go ahead and expand credit to people by, in other words, print, not printing more money, but making more money available to people, there's not a problem there. The only problem there is is if I make too much money available to people such that if with that money, they, they don't have anything to buy with. But you can expand the money supply as large as possible as long as you can, one, service the debt, and number two, have enough to cover the supply that will be needed. I mean, it's simple. 
This debt is debt is the idiocy that's taught on the right. It makes no sense. It makes you foolish. Honestly, my dear friends, don't believe what you hear on right. Oh, debt is debt. Debt is not debt. There are different types of debt, and there are some debts that need to be paid, and there are some debts that never ever have to be paid. Some of our national debt will never be paid. It'll be inflated away. They don't tell you that in it, when you learn about. Um, guess the U.S. can pay its visa off with its. No, again, Eric. Understand and stop trying to think how you learned in the right. Please listen to our show with a mindset to learn something new. If I am telling you debt is not debt, ask me why. Don't go ahead and use right-wing talking points like, well, you can use your visa to pay your MasterCard. No, it's different. Hi, let me salute my dear people. Michael Rodden, welcome aboard. Eric Hayes, welcome aboard. Christine Park, welcome aboard. HiveCoop33, welcome aboard. Uh, Eric and Norman Reynolds says, without an acknowledgement of past bad acts, we cannot get change on move on. Let's not move on or forgive until we agree what happened. That is exactly right. All of the times I will be covering that the Republican government in Texas uh, decimated the state. It costs many people their lives, not only because of COVID, but because of not accepting the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act. And it killed people with the deregulation of the energy markets. That Those are statements of facts that are not refutable. Anybody attempting to refute it, they are really not understanding basic facts. This is There are certain things that are black and white, and there are certain things that aren't. Okay, let's go ahead... Um, Expand on this debt issue as you are modeling to people it is okay to use debt. It is always okay for a government to use debt as long as you don't have money chasing products. If you have products, if, you, if people have where to put that money to buy something in exchange, you can't have inflation. You only have inflation when you have too much money to cover the products that are out there. It is simple basic economics, but the right continuously tries to lie to people. Do you know who knows the truth? They know the truth. That is the reason why they were okay to pass a one point something trillion dollar tax cut because they knew it would have no effect. It was another transfer of wealth and they knew it would have no effect. Who to give the money? Give it to the rich people or give it to the poor people? They could have just as well written a check and give it to every American. And that would have exploded the economy. Because people would have spent it. They would have bought cars. More car factories would have been built. All of that sort of stuff. And then enough taxes would have been paid to pay the interest and the debt plus some of the principal. They don't teach you that. They don't tell you that. Because this whole system is designed to keep a few, most people down and a few people on top. And that's by design. Because if we realize our worth, most of us will be living on even keel. And there wouldn't be those people that we have to sit down and pamper. Anyhow, I need to get to the professor. Uh, but bef- yeah, let's go ahead and get actually before. Yeah, let's go. And then we'll come back on the other side with my ask. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. We have a very special guest today. Dr. Mark Robert Rank is currently the Herbert S. Hadley Professor of Social Welfare in the George Warren Brown School of Social Work at Washington University in St. Louis. 
He is, so, uh, he is widely recognized as one of the foremost experts on issues of poverty, inequality, and social justice, things that we cover here all of the times. He has been the recipient of many awards, and his research has been reported in a wide range of media outlets, including the New York Times, Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, USA Today, and National Public Radio. He is the co-author of the book, Poorly Understood, What America Gets Wrong About poverty. Dr. Rank, welcome aboard. Thanks. Great to be on with you. Hey, look, we, we have a lot to cover. This is, a, this is something dear to my heart because I think it is something that need not be. I think it is a structural issue in our economy, a structural issue in our country. And I'd like to talk about this in detail. So first of all, what is poverty? Ah, great question to start with. Um, so generally the way that we thought about poverty in the country is um, that it's falling below a certain income level. So if you're uh, last year, if you were a household of four and you fell below around $25,000, you would be considered officially in poverty. Um, and that's generally the way that we have thought about it as falling below a certain of income. And the result of that is that you really don't have the money to buy the, um, the needed um, resources um, to have a decent life. That is interesting because it's amazing that the number you said was about $25,000 for a family of four. I don't know where you live. Well, we're in, in cities, so I guess we live a different existence than others around the country. Um, now, what what is the reason that you would... Th why is their poverty in a country that is so rich? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, and that's the, um, that's the paradox of this whole thing is that why do we have the amount of poverty we have in this rich, affluent country? Um, and basically the argument uh, that we make is one of the reasons is we have completely misunderstood this entire issue. Um, the way that we have viewed poverty in the United States is generally as an individual failing. That is, people aren't working hard enough, um, they haven't gotten enough skills, uh, they've made bad decisions in their lives and so on and so forth that these are the reasons for poverty is the way that we often think about it. And the argument that we make in the book is that actually poverty is a structural problem. And that is, there simply uh, aren't enough jobs that pay a livable wage for folks to survive on. We don't have policies that protect folks from falling into poverty. And so an, e an easy way to think about this as a structural problem is, to compare um, the United States with other countries. And we are at the very high end in terms of both poverty and inequality. And the reason for that doesn't have to do with people not working hard. It has to do with the kinds of policies and programs that we have in place um, that do or do not protect folks from falling into poverty. Now, let, let me ask you a question, uh, this one. This may be a bit... Um, I, I hope I, I, I ask it the way you can answer it. Okay. Um, an economic system is human made. And an economic system assigns values to the work people do. How would, uh, how would a dishwasher, why is a dishwasher in poverty, 
somebody that's doing work that's needed. And a stockbroker never is someone that just pushes paper and do much less work. Well, I think that that's fundamentally wrong. And I think if you work, no matter what, what job you work at, in this country, you shouldn't be in poverty. And I think that, um, you know, President Biden has said, has said a, a similar kind of thing, that if you work full time, there's no reason why you should fall into poverty. And so, um, and so what we need to think about is, again, this is a, this is a structural problem. The person that, you know, that's working at that low wage job um, is uh, working awfully hard, but they're just not able to, to get out of poverty because of the nature of work. You know, a, a way that I like to, to picture this, um, to think about this whole issue that you're bringing up is with the analogy of musical chairs. Mm -hmm. And if we have, uh, let's say we have a game here where we have um, 10 players and, and eight chairs available. And the circle around, music stops, two people lose out. Well, why did they lose out? They lost out because they weren't as fast, um, they were in a bad position when the music stopped and so on. And we can point to those reasons for why those two individuals lost out. But if we step back and we say, but wait a minute, the structure of the game is set up so that two people are gonna lose regardless of what their characteristics are. And what we do is we're focusing on the losers of the game rather than why the game produces losers in the first place. And that's what we need to do. We need to think about, okay, how do we provide more chairs in this game? And the way we do that is creating better jobs, jobs that have benefits, having policies that protect people from falling into poverty. What we need to do is change the structure of the game rather than always focusing on who loses out at the game. Professor, that is magic. That is magic. It, you, you, I mean, you handled a, you, you, you pretty much said that they are asking the wrong question. Yeah. And they're asking the wrong question purposefully. And I'm going to I'm, I am going to go ahead and say tell you what I mean because it is in it is in the context of something that came with the literature of your book, where you say contrary to popular belief, the majority of Americans in poverty are white, and very few of the poor live in inner cities. If those facts became more widely understood, how do you think the politics and policies around poverty would change? Before you answer that, that is fundamental. Because what we do is we create unnatural divisions so that we prevent ourselves from looking at the real problems. Please go from there. Oh, that is, that is so on target that the way that we frame this issue, the way we, we understand this issue is that poverty is an issue of them, not an issue of us. And so we think of poverty through the lens of race, and we think of poverty through this lens of individual failing. We think of poverty as, oh, it's something that's going to happen to somebody else and not to me. Well, that's one of the really big myths. It turns out, if you look across people's lifetimes, the vast majority of Americans at some point in their life will experience a year either in poverty or very near poverty. And the reason is for some of the things that we were talking about, that across a, a span of a, of a lifetime, things happen to people that they didn't anticipate. Uh, they lose a job, they get sick, a family splits up. And when those things happen, we don't have a lot in place to protect folks. 
The other thing that I would say with, with what you're raising, which I think is so important, is um, race, that, that race really overlies the issue of poverty. And we often look at poverty through the lens of race. And um, what you see is that countries that are more generous in terms of their social safety net tend to be more racially homogeneous. Mm -hmm. So you look at the Nordic countries and some of these other countries. Countries that are much less generous tend to be racially and ethnically heterogeneous. And the idea there is that um, I'm likely to be more generous to other folks who look like me. And this is what we have done in this country is we've portrayed poverty as an issue of them rather than an issue of us. And we really need to change the focus and say, you know what, poverty really affects us all. I'll give you one other example of, of why uh, we should think about it that way. I did a study a couple of years ago that looked at what's the cost of childhood poverty, the economic cost, um, on an annual basis. What is that costing us? And what we did is we figured out that childhood poverty increases healthcare costs. It increases um, economic, pro it reduces economic productivity when children in poverty become adults. And it increases criminal justice costs. And so we factored all those things in. And what we came up with was in 2015, childhood poverty cost the United States slightly more than $1 trillion. Put, put that in perspective, that was 28% of the entire federal budget. So it's not as if we're not paying for this. What we're doing is we're paying for it on the back end of the problem rather than the front end of the problem, which is always more expensive. So again, we need to think about poverty as affecting all of us just not and, and not just particular groups. I have to go back uh, to sort of what I alluded to in the beginning of the program, and that is an economic system being human made. And in saying that, the reality is that we are we are looking at us. I, I, and, and tell me if you, you you've been able to corroborate this. Is this true? Does this fall in line? And that is in a in a inherently unfair economic system. The only way you can maintain peace and the only way you can maintain that system is if you create chaos below where you're not fundamentally looking at the unfairness of the system. I go back to the people who make the most. You're a professor. Hmm. I've written uh, many articles and I've placed in a couple of my books that I think the most important profession on this planet is teaching. Why? Because you're the one that's moving knowledge forward. You're moving the, you're, you're moving the intellectual uh, progress of that country forward. Yet, uh, you may be one of the highest paid professors. I don't know. But uh, teachers and professors and, and the like aren't rewarded as well as they should. We also go into... Uh, jobs where uh, people do a whole lot of, you know, the, the person who takes care of the kids of the billionaire, uh, they are still underperforming what should be done. So, I mean, we inherently have an economic system that does not reward those who produce. I also say sometimes put a farmer and a stockbroker on an island and put this, put, split that island in two. And whoever, the, the person that's worth the most is the person who can survive. 
that's not what is rewarded in our economic system. So my question to you then, isn't it a fundamental issue with our economic system that creates though the chaos below racism and all the issues so that we don't look at what the problems really are? Problems really are. Yeah, that's a great observation. Um, you know, there's a there's a, um, a sort of an argument out there that says, you know, um, poverty exists because it actually serves a function, mm -hmm. and it's kind of along the lines of what you're saying. It, uh, you know, the argument would be that, you know, because we have poverty, we have folks that are. Are, uh, don't have many options. They have mm -hmm. to take these low-wage jobs. Um, that benefits us all. And what we do in this book is at the end of the book, we say, you know, we go through and we walk through all these different myths that we're talking about here. And the, the evidence is overwhelming that these myths do not hold water, that they are, they are really not the reality. So then the question is, well, why do these myths continue? Why do we continue to sort of have this perspective of, of poverty as you know, individual failing and so on. And we ask this question, perhaps those myths have benefited certain groups, just kind of like what you're saying here. An example of that would be politicians have used the, uh, the, um, the idea of the welfare freeloader over and over again to score political points. Ronald Reagan did that, Bill Clinton did that, Donald Trump has done that. Um, you know, it serves somebody pur purpose. It also, to get to kind of what you're bringing up here is, if we say, well, it's really your fault, then that really serves the purpose of the status quo, which is more and more inequality. So those at the top can say, hey, it's not my responsibility. Um, that's too bad, you know, but, but really nothing needs to change. Well, that's a very convenient kind of way of thinking about it. And what we argue is that that is completely wrong, that because this is a structural problem, because this is a problem with, with the economic structure, that we all have a responsibility here in order to address this issue. Interestingly, I had uh, Dr. Richard Wolf on with me and we went into sort of a discussion as far as worth is concerned where we talked about um, whether, you know, Jeff Bezos owns $160 billion plus and whether that is really his money, whether that is his wealth, or is that really the parasite? Uh, is he a parasite? In other words, is he uh, making money off of everybody else? Which I think plays right into the poverty domain, and that uh, that monies that he has, uh, that monies that he have, is monies that he hadn't paid to his employees to take them out of your defined poverty. True? Yeah, I mean, um, you know. <laughs> You have to you have to stop and, and ask this question of, um, you know, you take the example of, of of a CEO, you know, which is what you're kind of getting at here with Jeff Bezos. Um, in 1980, the average CEO earned about 40 times more than the average worker earned. Today, it's over 300 times. Mm -hmm. Now. Is the CEO that much better than they were in 1980? No, I don't think so. And it's that all of these economic 
benefits have flowed to the top. And yes, I think there is something morally wrong with that. Um, you know, it's like, how much do you really need? And, um, and I think there is beginning to be a discussion about this, about this rising inequality. In fact, um, a, a book project that I'm working on now is really getting at and, and addressing this issue of rising inequality and the consequences that that has for America as a country. And the consequences are pretty dire. Um, you know, if we continue down this road of more and more inequality, we are going to see some really significant ramifications of that that are not that are not good, that are quite negative. So um, yeah, and, and you know, you raise another interesting point, which is um, the value of work. I mean, to me, for example, somebody who's taking care of children at, at, a, at an early age is really important. That's mm -hmm. really important work. Um, and yet we don't value it. They're some mm -hmm. of the lowest paid workers in, in the country. So, you know, we, we really need to start thinking about our priorities here and getting those straight. You know, my, I, I used to say when my daughter was a kid, uh, my daughter spent more time at school how can I complain when we're asked for a tax increase to make sure those who care for my most valuable asset yeah. is uh, spending time with them? But, you know, um, I think I, I, there, there's one thing that I want to get out there. And I, I think we ought to start thinking so individual as we do. In other words, um, my success has been dependent on so many other people that have sent what they've done. I would not be doing what I am able to do. Yours apply as well. And my success is completely dependent on the professors, the teachers, the candlestick maker, the bread. All these people played a part. And those who monopolize on, on taking and taking, uh, what they are, in, by definition, they are thieves. By definition, just legal ones, but thieves. Um, Look, we are getting close to the end of the interview. And before I close, I want, I always ask this question. What haven't I asked you that you would like to put out there? And uh, again, we'll, we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about or present your book to the folks at the end as well. Yeah, well, we've talked about you. You've raised some excellent points um, and gotten to the heart of the matter. I guess uh, what, what I would sort of like to end on is, uh, that I'm actually um, somewhat optimistic that, you know, folks like you, um, folks in, say, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, you know, are talking about these issues. And there are some ideas out there that, you know, a few years ago, we might have thought was just like crazy, the idea of a universal basic income. Oh, wow, uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, that that's like, you know, holy cow, that's, 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 Pretty yes. radical, and it, and now it's part of the discussion. And you know, both President Biden and and Mitt Romney proposed a child allowance, which is a variation on the um, universal basic income. So, um, and and also um, the new administration has talked about the importance of raising the minimum wage to a more livable wage, like fifteen dollars an hour. So. I, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of hopeful that we are in a period where we could see some movement on these issues and begin to address these issues of poverty and inequality. Well, look, Professor, with, uh, with people writing books like you've written here, uh, with people talking about this issue, I am happy to say that I think uh, if, uh, we're in good hands. That, uh, we, we avoided fascism. <laughs> so, therefore, 
we have a small window to get something done. And again, I say we have a small window to get something substantive done for all of America. I have a phrase I use. When we unite Appalachia, the ghettos, and the barrios, it's, it's a, uh, we would have won this case. And I think uh, some of these statements that I'm seeing about your book does exactly that. It makes us understand that really we are in the same boat Absolutely. and that the dead weight in that boat yeah. isn't the average person. The dead weight are those people on top. There you go. Dr. Mark Robert Rank, co-author of the book, Poorly Understood, What America Gets Wrong About Poverty People. Let me tell you something. What we're going to do to win this, this battle, this war, is to get ourselves educated. When you have great guys like Dr. Mark Robert Rank putting books out like this, get it. Because this is how we win the war. Dr. Mark Robert Rank, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Then Right. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, keep up your great work. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. Anyhow, before I answer all the questions, I have to do my real quick ask. Folks, please help us keep progressive radio, independent radio, independent media, independent writing, independent, all these things. Please help us keep this stuff here. Go ahead and support us by clicking on that join button. If you are on YouTube right now, please click the join button and become a part of our PDR Posse. We have all kind of options that you can choose from as far as how you want to support, including one that says you can have all our books going forward. Folks, uh, please uh, support us by clicking that join button. If you join right now, I'll be more than happy to throw that up on the screen. Uh, you, if you're not on YouTube, you can still join the PDR Posse by going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. That is politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Alternatively, you can support us via Patreon. Patreon is at politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can support us via PayPal. That is politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. Folks, you can also uh, go to our store, politicsdoneright.com slash store to get our book. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. That's this book right here. Or you can actually get... As I see it, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom, and a few other books that I have there. Because, folks, we have to do this ourselves. We have to do this ourselves. If you want to go ahead and get our book at Amazon, if you don't want to go to our store but want to go to Amazon, just go ahead and click on that link that I've just put in there for Amazon. Anyhow, folks, let me go ahead and answer. First, let me salute the new people. Eric Hayes, welcome aboard. Insulin going up. Christine Park. Uh, Norman Reynolds, welcome aboard. Uh, Michael Rodnan, uh, let's see who else is here, para ver, para ver, para ver, um, Christine Park, um, I'm scrolling up, Lawrence Sims, welcome aboard, I think from ATL, right, Lawrence Sims, uh, let's see who else is here, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, a lot of messages, okay, let's see, uh, Haiku33, uh, Haiku333, Deb Denny, uh, welcome aboard as well. Uh, let's see. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Anyhow, folks, I love you all. Thank you for being here. 
Please remember to share, share, and what again? Share. Linda E., welcome aboard. AVQ, welcome aboard. Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard. Dev Denny, welcome aboard. Uh, and I think, uh, let me go down. Nanette Bird-Smith, I think I got you. Going right back down to the bottom. And uh, Christine Park says, I guess if I'm going to keep saying that, it should learn how to spell irreversible. <laughs> Jorge Gonzalez, yo, yo, Jorge Gonzalez. Gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Vamos a tener un buen, bien, un buen tiempo aquí, aquí en Politics Done Right. Anyhow, folks, uh, Eric said something to the effect about takers, makers and takers or something like that. You see how the right wing really messes with people? You get on the freeway every day and all you see is traffic jam, cars, people are working, people are going to work. They're working. The vast majority of Americans are not asking for handout. They're working for pennies. They're working to make a, a, a very few people very wealthy. Most Americans want to go out there and work. Americans are not a lazy people. The only reason that message gets out there is anytime Americans are asked, anytime we asked the government to say, let's make the lives of Americans more easy, easier. They put out these messages and they show you a few people that are freeloaders. And they try to project that onto a whole lot of Americans. Get out to the bus stop. In every neighborhood, get those barrios, Apalachia, anywhere. You see people going to work, working at menial jobs. They're going to work. Americans work hard. Don't let them fool you into believing they're takers and makers. The takers in this country are the people on the top. Jeff Bezos is a taker, not a maker. Jeff Bezos makes nothing. Everything sold on Amazon is the intellect of somebody else. It's the engineering from somebody else. It's the work of others. Jeff Bezos is one of the biggest takers in this country because he makes a piece of the action of everybody else that is out there sweating and working. But you have been taught not to see the truth. The truth is staring you in your face that Jeff Bezos and all the millionaires out there are nothing but takers. It's in your face. You can see it. You can say, what did you do today? What did this person do today? What did this other person... Welcome aboard, Paul Grieve. What did this person do? And you realize that all the people that are working today are not the takers. Even though some people that are sitting down at home are functionally making this economy flow, turn. You buy into the fallacy that there are takers and makers and who the makers really are. And if you don't get it right, you continue your indentured servitude. You continue your indentured servitude and path to slavery. Think about that. These guys make nothing. They never did. The same idea that Jeff Bezos had when he came out with one click Egberto Willis, I tried to patent, not patent, I don't believe in patenting software. I tried to develop a product with one click back in the 1980s. Late 80s, early 90s, I think it was, early 90s. And then when we did a patent search, Jeff Bezos patented one click. 
You know how many people in this world thought about one click? There's nothing special about it. But he used our economic system to monopolize on something. I explained patents in this book as I see it. Class warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom. Why did I put that in there? Because you don't understand the corrosive nature of patents. You don't understand the corrosive nature of many of our, our structures that empowers a few and penalize those who actually work. So I want everybody to do this for one sake. For everybody that you look up to as a wealthy person that you think are deserving, I want you to think about this, people. I beg you. I implore on you. Think about every rich person that you know. Ask, how did they become rich? What labor, physical or mental, did they do to generate what product makes them rich of what they're profiting from. And what you're going to immediately realize is that most of the work in this country is done by the peons. All of us do the work. And somebody else gets the spoils of our labor, of our intellect, of our engineering. You know, I used to work for NASA. And my father, when I decided to go on my own to form my software company, a lot of my family members weren't too happy. And I always remember something from my dad. My dad said, you are making all that money for the man. Don't you think you can make it on your own? If you can make it, if you're, you're already doing it, you're already programming. I'm, I've already written several software package operating system for Daniel Industries. A piece of the idle loop uh, uh, for, for, for Dresser and NL Industries. I was responsible for a lot of that stuff that comes out of the ground. Okay? And then, but I made just a salary. Whether I worked 10 hours or I worked 100 hours, I made the same amount. People think, oh, you're a salaried employee. It's so much better because you make a lot. Actually, salaried employees, they don't realize sometimes that you're on the back end of the street because no matter how much time you work, you make the same amount of money, right? And then I worked for NASA and I developed the TIFM model for the space station, right? So then this opportunity came about. Hey, go to China and we are going to make this logging system that pulls the log through the, 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 the earth to figure out there's oil here. There's hydrocarbon. So we had a physicist, myself as the software uh, designer, engineer, and another guy. And we went on our own. Some people in my family had a fit. I was leaving NASA, man. But the idea is I did it on my own. Well, I didn't do it on my own. I don't believe in saying I did anything on my own. Everything, all, everything that I've done is based on having great parents, a great mother, a great father. Everything that I've done was based on having a great United States of America who created a great educational system, who with their taxes paid so that I could, even as I paid high tuition fees at the University of Texas, this I still could not pay what it really costs. Right? So we had an America that created great things. And I was able to use what taxpayers have done so that we could use your school systems. When I had to pay a whole bunch of taxes, I never felt bad about it. I felt so much was given by the country. Why not give back? Okay? Listen. 
collective, we the people. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. The most important thing I want out of today, however, poor, whether you're poor or not, whether you are poor or not, whether you're poor or you're middle class, I want you to remember that you are the ones who create. You are the ones who make things happen. And most people that are wealthy off of stock, the stocks, wealthy off of guys like uh, Jeff Bezos, have created nothing of value. It is still you who are making things happen. Folks, before I go, I need to do one more time. Please consider joining our PDR Posse by clicking join on YouTube. If you are not on YouTube, if you're on some other network, I'm going to put the link in there. Please click uh, politicsandright.com slash YouTube to join our YouTube Posse or support us on Patreon by going to politicsandright.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, or support us at PayPal. Notice I did this twice today because we really need your support. We honestly really need your support. This is what all we do now, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. And of course, you can go ahead and buy the book at Amazon. I'm going to put the link for the book again in there. That's the book link at Amazon, or you can purchase it at our store. Look, I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. Oh, I, new people came in. Let me just say hi real quick, real quick, real quick. Uh, let's see. I saw somebody new that I hadn't seen here before. So bear with me as I find that person that I find that person. I, I love to salute all my peeps, man. I love to salute all my peeps. Uh, para ver, para ver, para ver, para ver, para ver, para ver. ¿Quién más está aquí? ¿Quién más está aquí? ¿Vi algo nuevo? Uh, let's see. I saw a new name, but I couldn't, I, I, I guess, it, ah, Paul, Paul Agrib, Agrib, welcome aboard, and if I missed you, please, uh, just drop, and Jorge Gonzalez, I think I got you as well. Anyway, I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis, this is Politics Done Right, and you know how I end this baby. I am, what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.